Today's guest is Mr. Dan O'Donnell. He has been living and working in Thailand, making a living by manufacturing products in China and selling them online in the United States. He's been to over 20 countries, and in his free time, you can catch him surfing and playing sand volleyball. I can't wait to get to it. Dan, thank you for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Yay! So, Dan, you've been there for six years now. Um, what started it all? Uh, well, the first trip to Thailand, really, uh, a guy I played baseball with. We were at baseball practice standing in the outfield. And if anybody listening plays baseball, you know you have a lot of time to talk at baseball practice. We were just, you know, in the outfield during batting practice. And this guy I just met, it was the first day I had met him. He had gotten back from Thailand maybe a month or two before. Mm-hmm. And he was just going on and on about how great it was. And it really, it took him about probably 10 minutes to convince me that I should go. And he said, I'm going again in December and you should just meet me there. I'm going to Koh Samui. And uh, I actually remember at the time I was, I, I wasn't broke, but I, I didn't have a ton of extra cash. And, you know, international travel sounds expensive. And he said, we found this place on Koh Samui, which was, a, he said, it's a bungalow, little house, literally on the beach where you step down the, the front stairs and you're in the sand. And he mm-hmm. said, three of us shared that place, he and a couple of his buddies, and it was $7 a night total. I'm like, what? You split $7 a night three ways? He's like, yeah, it was great. And we're on the beach. I'm like, okay, I'm going. I'll be there. I'll see you there. So yeah, that and that first trip to Thailand, I just, I had a great time. And so I kept coming back, I, you know, for roughly 10 years, not quite, maybe about eight or nine years, I would come back almost every winter. And um, I wanted to spend more time, you know, my goal was initially to spend three months in the winter, which I actually never did. I, I spent at the most one month, but I would mm-hmm. come every year, sometimes twice. And eventually I just moved. So I went from one month a year to just living there. So yeah. what, I'm trying to do the math here. Does that put you at like, what, 25 when you had first gone to Thailand? Yeah, right around there, yeah. 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 I think it was 2005 or so. Yeah. Yeah. So if wow. Tyler Klein is listening, he's a teacher up in Lampang near near Chiang Mai. He might, he might check this out. So thanks, T. <laughs> no way. So did you guys make the move together? Uh, no, he moved before I did. Mm-hmm. And but we both would come back pretty much every year, I think. And actually, I know you're you're doing research on how this works, right? For you and other people. Yeah. And there are a bunch of different ways that people make it work. But the way he made it work was he was also from Washington State, which it's a lot of the years very rainy and you know cold. And his work, yeah. So his <laughs> work was doing sports courts, like building for people, tennis courts, basketball courts, stuff like that. That's what the company he worked for did. And that's very seasonal in Washington. So they would work whenever the rains let up in the spring until the rain started again in like September maybe, or maybe October if they're lucky. So he would just work basically the summer and live uh, you know, under his means and stash away money. And then he would go spend the whole, I think probably more of the year in Thailand than in, in the US, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. just off of working that season because it was good work while it lasted. So he was just smart about managing his money, frugal, and he could just go relax for more than half the year. 
that was his method. My hero. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how did you go from going from like month doing a month a year to like finally making that transition and like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. So when I was doing a month or a few weeks, that was when I was in real estate. And it's funny, you're doing that stuff now too. I was a, I was a real estate agent, but also an investor. And mm -hmm. I really liked the investing part. It's for me, that was more fun. Um, I like making deals and hunting for bargains and that's just something I enjoy. So I could get away, especially in the winter, everything slows down around the holidays in real estate. You know, most people don't want to buy or sell a house at that time. So it's a good time to just go somewhere. And a lot of real estate agents go to Mexico for a month or, you know, something like that. Um, but then I would have to come back because I had irons in the fire deals I had to do. And uh, a lot of it, you need to be there, you know, you're signing things and they're notarizing it and all that. And this was before it was real. Like now you can sign things online a lot more easily. Back then it wasn't like that. Maybe they could fax documents to you and then you'd have to find a U.S. notary and like it's just kind of not worth it. <clears throat> so anyway, when I was heavy into real estate, it wasn't easy to do. But then fast forward, I, I was in a position where I still had real estate, but I was running a flea market. And I just, let's see, how did that actually happen? I went to Chiang Mai and Thailand in general, went down to the islands and I took my mom for the first time. And when I was in Chiang Mai, I actually, I remember I was on couchsurfing.com and I just did a search to see if anybody on there had the word entrepreneur in their profile. And mm -hmm. I found one person and I wound up meeting up with that guy at a co-working space, which maybe some people, I guess now more people have heard of it, like because of WeWork and things like this, but there are little kind of, they look like little coffee shops, some of them, but they're all over Thailand and other places. And I had never heard of one or seen yeah. one. So yeah. So this guy, I said, Hey, what are you doing? You know, you're living in Thailand, you're working online, you know, let's chat. I'm curious. And he said, okay, just come by pun space. That's the name of this co-working space. And he gave me the location and I didn't really know what it was, but when I got there, there's all these people chatting and working and a couple of his friends I met and they said they're doing e-commerce. And I'm like, so this is like a shared office space. You guys are all doing your own thing. You don't work together. They're like, no, we, we do our own thing, but we just come here to work and like share ideas. I'm like, that's amazing. And that's exactly what I wanted because at the time I was just starting a website. I, well, mm -hmm. I had started it a few years earlier, but, um, I, for, for years I had the goal, which is what you're talking about, which to be location independent mm. and the way I wanted, to, yeah, <laughs> the way I thought I wanted to do that. And what made sense was I was going to have, um, a website that b basically generated ad income. If I could get enough people coming there and enough things going on at the website, I'd have Google ads on there mainly. And, um, you know, in Thailand, it doesn't take a whole lot. You know, if you can make a thousand bucks a month or even like 700, you can live in Thailand. Um, yeah. and some people would say even less. I mean, some people do it on 500. So, um, I almost lost track of your question, but so I was in a position where I had started this website and I had about two to $300 a month coming in. So I had mm -hmm. maybe a third of what I needed to live in Thailand, but the flea market was taking up so much of my time. I knew at some point, instead of waiting years for the, the website to grow, it would probably be better to get the flea market off my plate so I could focus on the website. Mm -hmm. And 
when I found this co-working space with, with a bunch of people that knew more than I did, I thought, wow, if I get rid of that flea market and come over here and hang out with these people, I'm going to learn way more quickly and probably get that income up. And, and I had some savings at my position at the time I had 15,000 in savings and I did mm -hmm. the math and you know, if I'm making even 200 on my website and I'm, so I'm negative 500 with my living expenses, um, I'm losing 500 a month, but what is that? 30 months, right? Yeah. So I had a long runway. I'm like, okay, so I'll, I'll sell the flea market, come over here with my savings and hopefully pretty quickly I'll get at least to break even where I'm not losing money every month. And uh, that, that happened within two or three months and it probably would have taken years back when I was distracted. You know, the, the flea market was fun. I, I really did enjoy mm -hmm. it, but it tied me to a place. So yeah. that's why I sold it. Wow, two or three months. How, how did it come to be two or three months? Just those guys were so helpful. Um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't really get any hot tips specifically from those people, but it was inspiring because I saw a bunch of people that had already done what I wanted to do in different ways. You know, they sold other things. They ran different, you know, some of them were working remotely for an employer. Some of them were like affiliate marketers. Some of them, I knew two dentists and two doctors that were remote only, believe it or not. Um, hmm. So it just, it really showed me this is absolutely, there are normal people doing this and they're not geniuses. Like they're, they're intelligent people, but they're normal people, you know? So um, I just figured it out. It made me sure that I could do it basically. And the actual way it happened was my ad revenue. I'm trying to remember exactly. My ad revenue went from, uh, you know, two to 300 a month to like two or 3000 a month within a few months. Mm -hmm. And I think it was at the time it was all Facebook traffic for me. I have a, I still have a page called positive thinking and it's mm -hmm. like 1.8 million people. And I got better. I was sharing videos and then I had ads on the site and I just got better at that pretty quickly when I focused on it. Um, and I had an assistant that also helped and yeah, so it happened a lot quicker than I even really had hoped for. So it was great. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, when, when you focus all your energy and efforts, and I know that this has um, been true for me and I've seen it for a lot of people, but when you, you know, jump ship and yep. you know, all, all you give yourself is, is that, that one opportunity, that's all you do. Um, it seems like it works out for the most part. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know, the thing is that might sound a little scary to some people, like if that's not their mm -hmm. personality, but it's almost always reversible. Like if you go to Chiang Mai and fail, which I saw some people do, mm -hmm. um, they just went home and like got a part-time job and kept working on their website. It wasn't that big of a deal, you know, or they'd go back to school if they totally gave up or whatever. Um, <laughs> that you consider that totally giving up going back to school. <laughs> well, some people did totally give up and that's what they happened to go do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, but the people and the people who who really wanted to make it work, um, they pretty much just made it happen. And I agree with you, you know, you, you burn the boats or whatever, right? Like, have you ever read the book called The Alchemist? Yes. It, yeah. And you know where, I don't want to, spoiler alert, if everybody's read that book anyway, but he sells his sheep. Yeah. And it's a big, it's a big deal for him. That, he, he's mm -hmm. a shepherd. It's his whole way of life. But if he's, if I remember right, if he's going to go across, take the boat over to the pyramids, he has to sell a sheep to buy the ticket. So he yeah. does. 
And it was just a total fork in the road, like A or B, which one are you going to do? And he just went for it. And I realized, oh, the flea market, I remember telling my mom, the flea market, that's my flock, that's my sheep. And I got to sell it, you know? And if I Has want- Has your mom I, read The Alchemist? I think so. Or I was telling her about it. I really don't remember. Okay. But uh, <laughs> I just remember thinking, you know, I can always come back to Bellingham. That's where I'm from, near Seattle. I can always come back to Bellingham, Washington and start another flea market if I feel like I made the wrong decision. That's doable, mm -hmm. you know? And my friends will still be here and, you know, I can just pretend, you know, it was just a little adventure. It never happened. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what you're saying is if you go and you fail, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you come back home, um, you become a bum, live under the street and uh, live under the bridge and, you know, are begging for money. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially, I mean, we're both American. If you're from a rich country, I mean, I think people overestimate the risk a little bit. I mean, mm -hmm. if I was flat broke in my hometown, I mean, somebody, one of my friends would let me sleep on their couch. And even if they didn't, there are, I mean, seriously, I could put a tent in a park. There's a food bank. They give away salmon at the food bank in my hometown. Yeah. I, I knew I a girl that. It. Yeah, she. I knew a girl that volunteered at the food bank, and she said they had fresh salmon that would get donated, and it usually wouldn't get taken because a lot of the people coming there, they don't really have like a full kitchen and an oven and stuff, and so the volunteers yeah. would take home fresh salmon from the food bank. So in my situation, the worst case scenario really wasn't that scary, you know? You'd be eating salmon. You'd be eating good yeah. at least. Yeah. <laughs> so I think sometimes... If you clarify your worst case scenario, like your likely worst case scenario, rather than letting it be like this vague boogeyman, you know, the yeah. unknown, people fear the unknown and uncertainty, you know, but if you mm -hmm. just go, okay, if I go to wherever it is, wherever it is for the people listening, you know, if I go to Europe or Australia or whatever, and it doesn't work out, as long as I have money for a flight home, and I'll give you a hint, even if you don't have money for a flight home, if you're American, the, the embassy will send you home, <laughs> somebody will send you home. You know, like, it's just not that bad. You can always go back and get some job and stay alive. So anyway, I'm a big fan. I mean, like, seriously, not to get too cliche or whatever, but we're not here forever. So, yeah. like, don't wait forever because one day your opportunity isn't there anymore. Just do things. Try things. Actually, my favorite quote, I, I made a note here so I wouldn't forget. It's Ralph Waldo Emerson. And all of life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better. You know, I believe life is more like dodgeball than chess. Like you can't put, you can't plan ten moves ahead. You know, things happen, things change. You have to react. So, there you go. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna. Uh, did Did you come up with that that dodgeball one, or did you Did you hear that from? That, no, I, that's something I I think about it that way. Yeah. You know, in dodgeball, Hashtag. like you never know who's going to throw the ball at you. And if you can catch it, they're out. If it hits you, you're out. Like you just react. And it's like the total opposite of something like chess where you're trying to plan ahead. Right. And you can it's not bad to try to plan ahead, but things are going to change. You have to adjust your plans. It's just kind of how life goes, in my opinion. So, yeah, you can never. There's another saying. I can't remember who said this one, but you can't wait until all the lights are green to leave your house like the traffic mm -hmm. lights. You know, you just start. If you hit a red light or a detour, it's okay. That's normal. Everybody does that, you know? Mm -hmm. so, oh, yeah. my God. These are so great. I love them all. 
and I will be listening to them later, writing them all down and I'll put them <laughs> in my bathroom or something. Good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I know that for me and I know for a lot of people, um, we're afraid also of losing the things that we have already. Right. So maybe we're not thinking worst case scenario, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be broken and dead, you know, but maybe it's like, wow, I feel like I've worked so hard. You know, I don't know how long it took you to do your flea market, but, but maybe, you know, I, I came back from Australia thinking that I was going to buy houses, boom, 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 have all my money and then can go. Um, and it's taken me three years to buy and keep two houses. Yeah. I've remodeled some houses and, um, sold them, but, but now I'm like, well, if I don't have enough savings in my bank account and I go and I fail, it's not just. It's not just that I can come back, but maybe I'll lose that what I've already gained that took me three years to three years to do. Um, did you have things um, like that? Like, did you have property? I mean, I guess you had kind of already masked it out, but I guess what is your opinion on that? Yeah, um, I did. Actually, I was in sort of a similar position to you. I did have some property um, and I still do. Um, there's a whole nother story. I had a lot more property at one point. Um, I went... I went down to Texas and bought a big apartment building that didn't work out. But at the time that I moved to Thailand, I still had um, the house that I used to live in, which was a rental at that point. And I actually, I mean, I'm all about kind of another cliche, but thinking outside the box and like, just, I don't really like the like societal conventions. Sometimes I just don't buy into them. Like I lived in the basement at my flea market because there was an area down there that could be a, a home and I just, I just moved in there and I had mm -hmm. no more commute. And then I, I had rented out my house at one point I rented out my house, moved in. I think it was two houses up the street with my neighbor slash friend, almost the identical house, but I was paying 450 a month for a room mm -hmm. versus uh, my mortgage of what was it? I think with taxes and everything, it was around 1400. So I rented out and it was a three bedroom house with just me. So I rented it out at a, at least a little bit of positive cash flow. I don't remember how much, but I made, you know, call it one or 200 bucks a month off that house and went and moved in a room. And then I went from there to living in the basement at the flea market. So I had minimized my expenses and mm -hmm. my, my property, that house, and I had a small apartment building, which I still have with my mom and I own that, um, that was cash flow positive as well. So unless it went vacant and I couldn't find another tenant, there wasn't really much risk there. They were cash flow positive. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing, which is key in real estate, as I'm sure you know, is having a good manager if you're not going to be there. So, and I'm lucky. I have a, a good friend that I trust hundred percent who he's also a real estate investor and has a bunch of rentals and he manages mine. Mm -hmm. So, so I was well set up in that way. Like I was lucky in that way. I had good people. So, um, so to your fear though, I, I guess I, I felt like if things did start going sideways, like the management wasn't going well or something, maybe I would have to come back, but yeah. I don't think it would happen so quickly that I couldn't come back and fix it. Like mm -hmm. the, I, I would know something was going wrong and say, okay, I'm going to have to put Thailand on hold and go home and fix this. You know, mm -hmm. um, the, the flea market was a little different cause I did, I sold that to the guy that was helping me manage it. So I wasn't going to just come back and be like, Hey, sell it back to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was, I had to, that was like the sheep and the alchemist. I had to decide that I was moving on from that. Let go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Gotcha. And then he went to jail for uh, selling stolen stuff. And so it turns out if I went back, I could start it again and I wouldn't have to compete with him. <laughs> I don't think that's uh, in your plans at all, though, is it? No, no I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so amazing. So what are you doing the same thing that you were doing when you first got to Thailand or have things changed and progressed? It's changed a lot. I still have the website. Um, okay, so when I went to Chiang Mai, within a few months, my income went up to where I was living off it, and it was more than I needed to live off of, which I was really happy about. But uh, Facebook, so it was a Facebook page that was sending most of the traffic to my website, almost all of it. And then that traffic was how I was making the advertising revenue. But Facebook pages and the way that Facebook sends traffic to outside of Facebook changed a lot. Of, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's probably been like four years now or something. And they, they're really stingy with traffic now. They're happy to send you to like a video that's on Facebook or a Facebook page or group, but they don't, they're not going to give you a lot of free traffic outside of Facebook like they used to. So now mm -hmm. if you want to send traffic to your website, you can get a little bit, but the organic reach is going to be a fraction. Like I've got 1.8 million people on that page and a good post will get somewhere between like 50 to 100,000 people even seeing it, you know, yeah. and that, that's not people clicking on it. That's people even seeing it. Yeah. And, uh, and if it's a link to outside Facebook, it's going to be even less. So anyway, really? that, that way to make easy money, it wasn't easy. I mean, it, it took a lot of work, but that, that went away. Um, it went down to a small fraction of what it had been. So then what I had been working on before I went to Thailand and after I first got to Chiang Mai was a board game. Uh, it's a personal development board game. It's called better me. And so I went to China and not that you have to, but I went there, met with manufacturers, made this board game and started selling that mainly on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And that then made me my monthly living, you know, and more than I needed to live in Thailand. Uh, and since then I've made other products. I made a thing called Love Bombs, Kindness Cards and a card game called Famous Failures. They're all personal development theme. And, um, and now we're doing other things like shirts and jigsaw puzzles and stuff. So yeah, I've now I'm selling some of your new products. puzzles. <laughs> yeah. Good ones. Right. You know what, actually, yeah. I don't know. Is your, uh, is your show like adults? I don't know. I'm just going to show you, I've been drinking out of this cup and I'm, I'm yeah. careful to keep the label facing towards me because hopefully I don't offend a bunch of people, but this is what it says on it. Yeah. Have you seen this? This yeah, product? I, I, yeah, I went through and I looked at a bunch of your products. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> there's like, um, if actually, there's like a big, a big boob one or two or something like yeah, that. There's big tits gear. And, yeah, uh, I know. This is actually a bad sample. You see the word big is not even straight. It's actually, this is a good mug, but the quality of the printing is bad. This is a sample. We did not use this company. And then this other one, which I've dropped, I broke the cap, but this is my old scratched up one that I really love this cup. It's a great, yeah. it's a, a vacuum insulated tumbler. So it keeps things cold like overnight even. Um, but I put a bunch of electrical tape over where it says big dick gear. <laughs> Cause oh. I'm, when I go into 7-Eleven and I set it up there to get my coffee, I don't want everybody reading my cup when I'm in there like every day. So anyway, um, we do I prank thought that was the gifts. point. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Didn't you want everybody to know? <laughs> so uh, we got into goofy products just because it's fun, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. there was um, a, a cat butthole puzzle and um, a, another dog humping another dog puzzle. Yeah, I, I definitely, was. watching those, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, maybe my dad would like that. He's, yeah. he's a goofy people, guy like that. People like him as gifts, yeah. there's a, our, our bestseller right now is Pooping Dogs, which is 10 diff- it's a collage of 10 different dogs pooping on a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. <clears throat> Where do you come up with that? Uh, you know, I actually don't remember exactly on that one. I really don't. Um, <clears throat> the company that I make, the factory I work with for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for the board games and the card games, they also make puzzles. So that's where the puzzle idea came from. I was just looking around on their, their Alibaba site or their website or something. And I'm like, yeah, they, they make puzzles. And I knew that when I went to visit them like five years ago, I saw the stacks of puzzles they were working on. But I had really no interest in it. I thought, well, what the heck? Like, they're really good to work with. I like this company, so let's try a puzzle. And uh, I think we just, I try to always do something different when I start anything. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the 50th Italian restaurant in a city or something, you know? Like, when I had the flea market, the closest one was Vancouver to the north and almost to Seattle in the south. So Mm -hmm. I had, like, I don't know, 150 miles or something where I was the only flea market. And that's... That's how I wanted it. And so uh, the jigsaw puzzle, I didn't want to do the 3,000th cat puzzle, you know? Yeah. So we went for the prank angle. Yeah. And it worked. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely love it. So that's really cool. Um, So tell me about how you're able to live there. I know, okay, financially you got all sorted. Um, You made that leap and now you're making enough money to live there. Are you there on a traveler's visa or how does that work for you? Um, Most of the time I've been here, it's been on an education visa. So that's Mm -hmm. uh, Thai language education. And if Mm -hmm. anybody's specifically interested in Thailand, you don't have to study Thai. There are schools that teach Spanish and Chinese and maybe I think French. Yeah, for sure. French. So if you want to learn a language, um, whether it's Thai or something else, you can do that here. And that's a one year visa. And uh, it's always changing, but you can do more than one. Um, they might limit you how many years you can do in one language or how many years total. It's always changing. Um, but that's a really good way. If you're not looking for a job here, you can't work on that visa. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so that's what I do, education visa. But then there are a lot of other people that they do want a job. So the most common is an English teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. and then some people are like scuba instructors and things like that. Some people start their own business, um, which is, it's quite a few hoops to jump through and stuff as a foreigner, but it's doable, you know, mm-hmm. they, any, you know, restaurants, all sorts of different things Tour, well, not tour companies. There are some things that are restricted and only ties can do like you, I don't think you can open a massage shop, for example, or a tour company, but, mm. uh, yeah, so that's how I do it. And if you're if you're coming and going more frequently, you don't even need an education visa. You can come in for a tourist visa. You can get two months, depending on if you're American. You can get two months, and a lot of other countries, some countries get less, like one month. Um, and then you can usually extend that. Um, so if you get a two month tourist visa, you can extend it once. You can make it three months total. And you know you can't just go back, you know, go somewhere else for a week and come back and do that again. But you can probably do that like twice a year maybe you know Mm -hmm. yeah and and for 
a lot of nationalities. You can come here for 30 days or less with no visa. You just show up, <clears throat> you get the 30 day stamp and you're, you're fine. And then you move on to wherever you're going next. Yeah. Well, you said, um, just they're generally a year for the education visa, but you've been there for six, for six years, right? Right. So, so are you staying, are you staying outside of the country for very long? No. And you know, there are a lot of like, uh, people in Facebook groups and different internet forums and stuff that honestly, they, they tell people that what I did is not possible. They say yeah. things like you can only have two years education visa or two years of the same language, or there's all this information going around, which is like, who knows who said it first or where that came from. But I checked in with my, my teacher at my school. I'm like, Hey, mm -hmm. I keep hearing, you know, you can only do two years consecutive of the same language. And, and she's like, I don't know where, who started that, but there's, there's nothing in writing that says that. And mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, sometimes the way things work in Thailand, it's not always like clear. The rules aren't mm -hmm. always clear, but you just go apply. And if they say yes, then you got your third one and everybody was wrong, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, most people don't do a lot of years of education visas. Um, most people come and do it for maybe a year or two and then they they go back home or they go somewhere else. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you ever worry about getting kicked out of the country or them going, eh, you can't come, you can't come back in, go somewhere else? Not really. Um, the last time I went to apply for my, my current education visa in Penang, Malaysia, um, the guy there, the guy at the desk that accepts your application told me that he thought it wouldn't be approved and he's not the guy mm -hmm. who approves it, but there's a fee to apply and he was either being nice or pretending to be nice. And he said, look, I just, I don't want you to waste your hundred, I think it was $150. He's like, I'm really sure they're not going to approve this and you're just wasting your money and your time. And so I called my teacher back at the school. I mean, there's a, there's a chance that guy was in bad mood or for some reason didn't like me, or he was actually trying to help me because like people like me just were not getting approved at that mm -hmm. consulate. That's the thing. Like, each consulate has a reputation and they change over time. Like mm. sometimes people, sometimes everybody knows Penang is really low key and easy and sometimes it's not. And it'll change over the years when different, you know, people move like a different guy is in charge of this one. Now it's hard anyway. So <clears throat> I called my teacher and she said, well, you can apply in Phuket. It just costs a little more and it will get approved here. So I said, okay. So I decided not to maybe waste my money there and just enjoyed my time in Penang and went, I was with my dad. We went to Sumatra, Indonesia, did a little surfing. And then I just came back and processed the visa stuff here, which, you know, there's a, a fee of about $500 to do that. So it costs more, wow. but it, it happened. It happened, you know? Yeah. Thailand is not the easiest. It's not the hardest, but it's not the easiest. Yeah. To remain in the country. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, you know, it depends on your situation. Like if you're a teacher, I think people stay here for years and years pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's always changing here. And you just kind of have to understand that about this country is like the rules next year will be slightly different than they are this year or maybe very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I imagine, um, too, if you're showing them proof of income that you're not taking their people's jobs and stuff like that. Um, they might be a little bit more willing. 
Yeah, I, and I think it honestly comes down to the individual immigration officer when you're crossing back into the country. Um, mm -hmm. And that is a big concern. Are you working here? Like some people, I'm trying to remember, the guy in Penang, the guy mm -hmm. who said I wouldn't get approved, he asked me that. And that might be why he was kind of telling me it wouldn't get approved because they thought I was working here, which I'm not. Right. Um, but yeah, they definitely don't want you to come here. And and it happens, you know, people come here and they're working like under the table as a bartender unofficially. Yeah. And that's a job that some Thai person would have. And I understand that, you know, if you're going to be here and work, you need to do it the right way. So they they're looking for people that are trying to get around the rules, I think. Yeah, definitely. And not that this won't apply to most people, but what I'm thinking about next year, my, my current visa ends in December mm -hmm. and I who knows? Things are up in the air right now because of the, a lot of countries, you know, banning travel and stuff. But uh, there's a business visa where the, the idea is somebody who's going to come to Thailand to export from Thailand, you know, to work with Thai companies and buy things here and sell them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. There's a visa for that. So I might look into that next year. That sounds cool to me. Sourcing, you know, there's a lot of cool clothing here and different carved wood products and so we'll see. And totally discounted for, you know, to be able to sell it back to the U.S. Yeah. I mean, Southeast Asia in general, the prices here, and we haven't even talked about that really. I'm, I mentioned the cost of living briefly, mm -hmm. but cost of living in a place like this, like I'll just sidetrack a little bit there. There might be somebody listening to this right now who maybe they have some kind of income, whether it's a rental property or something they do on you know a website they have or some part-time job they have online or whatever, um, and maybe they're living somewhere expensive and they're going, well, I'm only making a thousand dollars a month from this thing. So I can't, that's not enough to go live somewhere else. <clears throat> you might be wrong. You might want to check living expenses where you want to go, or <clears throat> maybe instead of moving to Paris the first year or Tokyo, maybe you go yeah. to Bali or Vietnam, Vietnam or somewhere like that where you know you can live on $500 a month to start you know even if you don't want to live like that for the rest of your life that might be the bridge to give you the time to to work on whatever you're working on yeah you're definitely giving me inspiration um Andrew and I have given ourselves a deadline um to move to Spain um well to move in January and we were planning on moving to the Philippines for three months to just learn Tagalog because he's half um, okay. Filipino. Um, but, you know, maybe taking your advice, end up there a little bit longer while we do our online business and then move to Spain. Yeah. And do you talk about what it is you're working on or I'm curious? Um, you mean, I mean on? on? Yeah. You, you mentioned property, like you're focusing on property or do you have another thing that you want to work on if you're you know, in the Philippines or you still exploring options? Yeah, actually. Um, so my husband, uh, Andrew, um, started a company, a virtual assistant company. So he sells virtual assistant services to companies here in the U.S. So okay. he has a, um, a handful of clients now that he's working with and we're growing that business. So um, it should be pretty good once, once uh, you know, we have, you know, two or three times the amount, I think, of what we do right. now. Yeah, so going there, you could meet people and interview them face-to-face -face and things. Is that part of the idea? Um, 
it would be cool. I mean, we've had we've had um, virtual assistants for the past two years in our real estate business, and it's really easy to meet them online yeah. um, and get referrals that way. But I I know um, they definitely would like to meet us at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I I do the same. I have uh, three. I had a virtual assistant for years in Croatia, um, mm-hmm. but right now I've got it's it's kind of a cool story um, since you're into this stuff. I've got three in outside Manila in the Philippines, mm-hmm. in the northern part of the Metro Manila area. And I, the first one I found on, there's a website called, well, maybe I shouldn't say it. <laughs> no, no, I found no, go her, for it. Yeah, online jobs. You know, uh, I found mm-hmm. her in that marketplace for VAs. And then the second one was her roommate and like best friend, or one of her best friends, who also was interested in work and I needed some part-time stuff. And so she wound up being full-time and they live together. So it's almost mm-hmm. like a little office there. <clears throat> and then I just hired their third friend and they're mm-hmm. all like really, they went to school together. They went to the same university and they're all really close already. And it's really great because they're, they help train each other. Like the, the newest hire, if she has questions, she can ask me, but she can also ask the other two or like her best friends, you know, yeah. it's, it's, been really cool how that worked out um i just got lucky no seriously they're they're always looking out for each other most of our employees um they end up recommending their friends and family just like you're saying and it makes the hiring process so easy and then it makes it like a little family like like you're saying um and they they look out for each other and they teach each other so it makes the work um a lot less difficult And, and there's that sort of positive peer pressure too where if 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 somebody you've been working with for a year or two recommends their friend, they're not going to want their friend to flake out on you. You mm-hmm. know, so there's that accountability, I guess, is the way I, that's the word, you know, where, yeah, nobody wants to make the other person look bad or, you know, it's like, let's do a good job. I recommended you, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. So, so what do you use your virtual assistants for? Um, a lot of. Well, if people have heard of Merch by Amazon or print on demand in general, we do a fair amount of that. And uh, so either creating or uploading designs. Have you heard of Merch by Amazon or like? I actually haven't. There's Redbubble and TeePublic. It's all these websites that people go to and buy shirts and not just shirts, but phone cases and coffee cups and, you know, even socks and things like that. So you create a design, whatever it is, like you could do some Arizona type design you put it on these various sites and then people can buy it on a coffee cup, but you don't have to, you know, Redbubble or Amazon, when they get the order, they'll actually take the blank coffee cup, print it on there and ship it and they give you a royalty. So, Mm. you know, like on a t-shirt, we generally make about $5 on a sale, uh, depending on the website. On Amazon, we make $5 on Redbubble. It might be like three or two or something. Um, but you don't have to handle any inventory. You just get the royalty. So the people, you know, I've got one assistant who works almost exclusively uploading designs and running ads to those designs. Um, just, we make all kinds of goofy shirts. Some of our, some of our shirts are like inspiring. They go along with the personal development theme. And then there are others that are just goofy. Um, yeah, like one, I'm not worried about anybody stealing this niche because, we've only sold like two or three shirts. So it's not a hot niche, but I was so happy. We made like fake tourist shirts with the wrong Mm -hmm. landmark. So we just sold one Miami, Florida with the pyramids, 
was like an mm -hmm. image of people riding camels at the pyramids, but it says Miami, Florida. Like it's just a you know stupid shirt, but we like to do stupid, <laughs> stupid funny. That's great. No, that's awesome. Um, so what else? What else do you think um, is important for people that are interested in moving and um, working abroad? Is there um, other things that you noted down or? Yeah, I did. Um, I made a couple notes. Um, so we already talked about how it's it's reversible generally. You know, it's not yeah. like if it doesn't go the way you hoped, you can go back and you can make another go at it later. It's kind of like, you know, those mm -hmm. mountain climbers, like they get halfway up and then there's a storm and they have to retreat to base camp and wait. It's kind of like that. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say is a lot of people, it's an emotional thing probably more than it is like a logistics thing or a finances thing. Like you can figure out the logistics and the finances, but people have this like real like gut level fear, right? And a big mm -hmm. part of it, I think, is they, they feel like they might be alone. Like not you, like if you have, you know, your spouse or maybe your best friend's going to go with you or something, it might be different. But some people feel like, ooh, it's scary. I'm going to be alone. But mm -hmm. I just wanted to say like your people are there waiting for you. You know, whether, I mean, you just, when you get there, there's going to be either a co-working space or... There's going to be, you know, if you're into something like you're a scuba diver, go on a couple trips. You're going to meet other people who are already there who can help you with things that have already done everything you're you're looking at doing. Um, I wrote down some examples. So there's hostels are a good one. Um, oh, yeah. You know, you tend to meet people that are traveling, but that's that's a good thing in itself. You might not meet a lot of locals at a hostel except for the people running it, which can be very good, too. Um, but then there are co-working spaces where you're going to probably meet a mix of locals and travelers. Then there's always like almost every community has Facebook groups. Like in Chiang Mai, there's a million of them. There's like the Chiang Mai board game group and the Chiang Mai, you know, people SEO or whatever. So you can just land in Chiang Mai, join a bunch of Facebook groups. And like the next mm -hmm. night you're at a board game meeting with a bunch of like 20 people that live in Chiang Mai playing, you know, whatever game they're playing. I, I was in a or Scrabble. Or sand but, volleyball. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, we would play at the Chiang Mai University and you meet locals and that was mostly locals, which was cool. Um, there's meetup.com, which is kind of like, it's not extinct. It's not as active as it was, but there are still active meetup groups there. Um, yeah, I did. I wrote down volleyball. Um, and then volunteering is another way you can meet locals. You know, you go to like the local dog shelter, walk some dogs go to the local, like there was an orphanage in Chiang Mai where we would do maybe monthly, a lady organized a thing where we would go and hang out and cook dinner and play with the kids. And, you know, I went on that a couple of times and met some nice people. So all I'm saying is if you're worried about losing all your, you know, your little social circle and your friends, um, A, you can always go back. B, yeah. there's a bunch of people waiting for you there. And then also, if you're lucky, some of your best friends will come visit you because they're like, wow, you're in this interesting place. I want to go check it out, you know. Help make your friends' lives more interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. That's not something that I've really thought about because I've always had my sister or um, my partner with me or a family member. So um, glad you brought that up. And I totally agree even even as a part having a partner or or my sister um you meet people or i met people you know so so quickly so definitely yeah. won't be alone and there's definitely a lot of great relationships to be yeah. had and it doesn't have to be the hard way you know you don't have to like 
go out to a bar and just strike up a conversation with strangers. You know, it's, you can, like, if you're a little more low key than that, like in Chiang Mai, the example that sticks in my mind was the Scrabble club, Mm -hmm. you know, there'd be like anywhere from four to eight people that show up and we just have probably two games going. You know, if it was a slow day, we'd have one game going and we're just at a, like a quiet coffee shop playing Scrabble, you Mm know, I mean, it's like super easy way to meet people. So that seems super low key. That's so. It cute. was actually, I, it was fun. Scrabble. Some people are. I mean, they take Scrabble. You know, they get good. Yeah. I wasn't. There were some people that were well above my level, but it was. It was fun. It was challenging. What else? What other gems do you have for us, Dan? Um, one thing, a big benefit. So we kind of we've gone through a lot of the like roadblocks, like the mental hurdles, but yeah. a benefit that. I don't think I really thought about it until I was in Thailand. I didn't. Okay. And there's Skyscanner or like, uh, what were the other sites? Kayak.com. There's all these travel sites. Yeah. And I was in Thailand. I think I was, I was going to need to leave the country for a visa run or something. I start looking on Skyscanner at flights and I couldn't believe all these places. Basically I was in like a jump off point to go to lots of interesting places that seemed mm-hmm. When I lived in the U.S., it was a big deal to go to Vietnam or Indonesia or, you know, anywhere like that. It seemed like a big, long, expensive trip. But once you're in Thailand, I mean, you can fly to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia for like $50, sometimes even less. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's all these direct flights from Bangkok and Kuala Lumpur is a big hub. So depending, like if you end up in Europe you're going to be able to fly from, you know, London or Germany or wherever to all these cool places. And it's only like a two hour flight and a hundred dollars, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's a real big benefit. You know, I've gone to a bunch of places that were never even on my list before I lived in Thailand, but uh, you know, it's like, it's like Sumatra, for example, I've, I've met people here that like to go surf there and they kind of told me, Oh, here's a cool place you might think about. And, so I wound up just going there with my dad and it was, we flew down to Penang, which is like an hour flight. Yeah, it's an hour. And we hung out there and I got turned down for my visa there and we just ate, ate good food and had a good time. And then we went to Sumatra, which I think was a two hour flight from there. And both of these flights are under a hundred dollars. I don't remember exactly. And uh, anyway, I had a great time in Sumatra, which was a place I couldn't have even found that on a map when I lived in the U.S., you know? Right. That's so amazing. I'm glad you brought that up. And the, the um, flights that you can take, like using AirAsia, like, I don't know if you used AirAsia, but I felt like they were a, a lot cheaper using the Asian sites versus using the American sites. Maybe that's just me. No, I've, I've heard that too. Like, and I don't know, there's like where you're sitting, like they know your IP address of where you're sitting. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people say things like they'll use a VPN to act like they're in Thailand when they search it, even if they're in the US. I don't know. I've, I've never really tested that. But yeah. I, they, they do funky pricing things, the airlines. Yeah. 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 And, and of course, I need to put a little asterisk on this whole thing, which is right now, this stuff is n- not as easy. Yeah. But hopefully at some point, it'll, it'll become a lot like that again. Yeah, I'm just gaining inspiration maybe, you know, for the people that are interested in going to that can't yet, maybe just kind of get the ball rolling, get them thinking yeah. um, while this whole pandemic is happening. 
So let me ask you last question. Um, you've stayed in Thailand for six years now, and it's probably not just the cheap living that's kept you there. So what's kept you there? Yeah, so I do. I like life here. Sometimes I get a little frustrated, but then I, <clears throat> I, I put it in perspective, like, there's a little bit of traffic on the way to the beach or something. And I'm like, oh, I'm being ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Or, or, you know, there's a little bit of like a visa hiccup or something. It's really not that big of a deal. Um, but the big plus points, well, I lived in Chiang Mai three and a half years. Now I lived in Phuket for three years. And so that in general, in Thailand, um, the weather is a lot nicer for most, a lot of the year than it was where I'm from. So I avoid the winters. The food is really good here. Cost of living is way cheaper than where I'm from. So that doesn't just mean that I live the same lifestyle for less. You can do things that you maybe wouldn't do back home because you can, you know, it's easier to afford things here. You can stay at really nice hotels. I mean, <clears throat> in Southeast Asia in general, if you spend kind of my rule of thumb, if you spend like 50 or $60 a night on a hotel, that's going to be a, like a four star, maybe a five star hotel, you know, yeah. where that's. How much is a Motel 6 now in Tempe? I don't know. Is it is it almost that much? Probably. I'm sure. I'm sure it's that even, much. Yeah. In my head, it's still like $40 because that's what I remember seeing the freeway signs. when. I, but that was when I was a kid, you know. So, yeah, you can live. I mean, your lifestyle here can be really nice and it doesn't have to cost a lot. Like <clears throat> I've been looking at uh, villas in Bali. This is mm -hmm. Thailand. But I mean if you want to spend between one to 2000 a month on a rental house in Bali, um, which, you know, you can, you can stay for way less than that. But if you do want to spend somewhere in that range, we're talking four or five bedroom house with a beautiful garden with palm trees and all these flowers and a big pool and a little, uh, what do you call it? You know, the little pool sh shelter thing, like a gazebo, oh, yeah. whatever, whatever that thing's called. Um, and like a big yard and within five or 10 minutes of a beach, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, my mortgage on my house back in Bellingham, a three bedroom kind of basic house was that much, you mm -hmm. know, and, and some in Bali in particular, a lot of the properties they'll have like two or three small houses on the same property with like a big common kitchen. And it's just, it's awesome, you know? So yeah, it's a good life here. Have you gone as far um, to get like a chef or somebody to clean your house? Because that's like on the top of my list. <laughs> yeah, having somebody, I haven't ever had a chef, but there's restaurants everywhere. So true. Um, yeah, um, I mean, you definitely could. Some people have live-in maids that do a lot mm -hmm. of things, like especially people with a family. They'll have somebody who uh, like will pick their kids up at school if they're working or they'll also clean the house and cook and all that. Um, yeah, that's that's doable for a lot of families. And I do, um, right now I don't have an official like house cleaner. I have mm -hmm. guys that come and take care of the garden. Um, but yeah, it's really easy to find somebody to come in weekly or whatever you want to clean the house. It's not hard at all. So yeah, you can yeah. have a very, very easy life here. Like, I'll give you one more example about the cost of living. Yesterday, mm -hmm. I was going to go surfing. The waves were looking really good. I was excited. I got in my car, and as I'm driving, the car sounds a little off, like something's not quite right. And I'm like, man, I really, I really just want to keep driving to the beach because the waves are good, but I'll be really pissed at myself if I, like, blow my car up because I'm too 
in a hurry to stop at the mechanic, which is right on the way. So mm-hmm. I'd stop there. And uh, I was I was probably there for like 45 minutes. And it was the fuel injectors had a problem. They fixed it. Um, I think they gave me new spark plugs. I was kind of on the phone at the same time. But uh, they, they gave me some fuel additive to clean the fuel injectors, cleaned up and, you know, tested the fuel injectors. And I think replaced my spark plugs. And the whole thing was $27. And I was back on the road within 45 minutes. I didn't have to like come back tomorrow or leave your car here for a night. None of that. And I was like surfing an hour later, you know, it's just easy things. Yeah. It's an easy life. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's so quick and so cheap. Yeah. Okay. I'm coming. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, and to give perspective too, like some people get mad when people like us talk about, Oh, and it was so cheap. Um, you know, a person here that would be like if you work at 7-Eleven here, that's almost three days wages. So it's not yeah. cheap here, but the cost of living. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so that guy was happy. Like, woo, you know, that's actually for 45 minutes work. That's that's good money. Um, but if you're earning it, they call it the fancy name would be geo arbitrage. If you're earning an income in a rich country and mm-hmm. you're living in a, in a country with lower cost of living, then you're taking advantage of that difference which is great. Yeah. Ooh, geo-arbitrage. I hadn't heard of that before. Yeah, fancy, fancy way to say it. But it's true, <laughs> you know? And, like, if you're an English teacher here, if you have a college degree and maybe some teaching experience and you get an English teaching job here, you'll you'll make a good wage for here. But mm-hmm. it, compared to what you would make back in your home country, it will sound like a, a low wage, but it's still plenty to live on here. Like, I think it's a, a lot of teachers make about a thousand U.S. a month, yeah. um, which here is plenty. But, uh, you know, maybe you're not going to be saving a ton for retirement back in the U.S., you know. Anyway. Things to think about, for sure. Maybe yeah. just become an entrepreneur like Mr. Dan. Could, could do. <laughs> could do, could do, if, if you got it in you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's... Everybody has their personality type that, well, actually, and I wanted to mention just real quick, teaching mm-hmm. English online has become a, a much bigger thing in the last few years. Uh, when I moved to Thailand, nobody really was doing that. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of companies like Dada, ABC, and VIP Kid, and some others that hire people to t- like talk on Skype like we are right now. Mm-hmm. And mostly you're teaching Chinese and Korean kids from what I've mm-hmm. heard. Um, but, you know, they're paying like 15 or $20 an hour. And that's good money in a lot of places. So, and the cool thing about that is when you want to leave Thailand and go to Japan, you can keep doing it, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Um, I know when Andrew and I were there in Thailand, we were doing some sort of um, online teaching English. It was like $11 or 10 or $11 an hour or something like that. And I, I was like, yeah, this is great. The only issue was, um, is that, I had people that would come on for like three minutes and hang up and then I'd wait 10 minutes for somebody to come back on that would okay. be there for seven minutes then hang up, have to wait another 10 minutes for somebody to do like a half an hour. So it was like, yeah, you're uh, going to make, you're going to make right. like uh, $11 an hour, but like really you're only working for right. 40% of it. So I was like in a whole hour, I made $5 and 43 cents. Great. Yeah. <laughs> there are some other, I think, different companies have different structures. Like some, if I remember right, you have a 25 minute class and then you have a five minute break. So you can put them yeah. back to back and have long enough to go get a drink of water or whatever. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, there are people like you build up your that what I've heard is at first you're not really that busy or you just have to take whatever you can get. But then mm. you start to, if you do a good job, you get the repeat students and then you're yeah. like booked. And some people, you know, they work these four days a week and their students know to book them then. And anyway, so, yeah, but. Oh, I definitely wasn't doing a good job for a repeat. <laughs> well, and it could have been the company. Maybe the company you're working with kind of didn't have it all figured out yet or something. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know how to teach people either. And, I, you know, like you said, people have their own things that they're good at and what they're not good at. And teaching English to children is not one thing that I'm good at, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's like, so the way I see it, like just to simplify it, there's kind of three categories. So, like, not everybody wants to start a business, hire employees or make products or whatever. But that's like the business owner method. Um, which is what I'm doing. And then you've got sort of like freelancer specialist. Um, some people it's SEO, some people it's teaching English. Um, there's a million things it can be, right? I mean, there are people who do consulting for all different kinds of things like engineers or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third one is a remote employee, um, which has become more common lately, especially. But, you know, some people work for the same company they were working for back home. Like I had a friend who was a graphic designer, moved to Thailand and kept working for the same company based in Seattle. You know, as long as he got the work done, it was fine. And uh, so really you can be an employee, you can be a self-employed or a freelancer, or you can be a business owner and you can do that all location independent, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, well, it's been so great chatting with you. I know we could probably go for another hour, yeah. but just, <laughs> just, so you can get to surfing and then um, I can get to bed. We'll stop it here. But I thank you so much for being yeah. on. This was so I great. I totally forgot it's late there. So thank you too. And good luck. <laughs> no. Good luck with everything you're, you're working on. Oh, thank you, Dan. Well, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye.